What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show, hour number two. Thank you for hanging out with us today. He's flying in for Chuck this week. Glad you could be here. The college football conversation never stops. Big thanks to Dave Bartu from CFB Matrix there. Again, we've got the big games coming up at the end of the week. We've got some bowl games here this week that still could be interesting. Again, as we've talked about, it's just hard to get a handle on some of these games and where the the level of enthusiasm is for certain teams. It's always been a challenge, but now especially it just seems like you have monster blowouts happening that on paper shouldn't be. I mean, that's that Syracuse-USF game. USF, you knew, would probably be more invested than Syracuse because USF's in the first year with a new coach, and they hadn't been to a bowl game in a bunch of years. That program had been really terrible the last few years. And so I get it. They're going to be more excited about the game than a team that got off to a decent start, thought maybe that they were going to do some things, things didn't work out, their head coach gets fired, new staff, interim. I get it, why one team would care more than the other. It still doesn't explain 45-zip and Syracuse looking like they have no idea how to play offense at all. I mean, I, I said some version of, oh, my Lord, or oh, dear, in that game, more in the first half of that game than I have in all the rest of the year in college football combined. And then, again, South Alabama and Eastern Michigan, you just, you're just you watching this, and you're like, my Lord. South Alabama is a team that's done some good things. They beat Oklahoma State 33-7 to this year, but the gap between the teams isn't that big. And not only did you have that, but you had to, if you didn't see this, it was nasty. Kid for Eastern Michigan... After the game, when South Alabama's doing the celebration with the school anthem and everything, kid from Eastern Michigan comes flying in from behind and punches a dude in the back of the head. Uh, straight up goon behavior. Totally unacceptable. They say they're going to look into it and see what happens. But, I mean, that that's not the kind of thing that should get you kicked off the team. That's the kind of thing that should get you taken to jail. Like, you don't get to just assault somebody after the game because you're mad. That's not acceptable. Uh, so... Eastern Michigan, just a humiliating performance both during and after the game for them. So as we get into some of these better, more known teams, you might feel like we have an idea what some of these games are going to be like, but it's still just a crapshoot. I mean, you tell me the Texas A&M first SEC team to play in a bowl game. You tell me that they're going to be going out there and, and looking to show what they can do for a new coach and and have positive energy. Well, okay, I could believe you, but you tell me that they're just kind of uh, – 
disjointed mess because they've lost a lot of kids. I could definitely believe you on that too. But finally, we're going to get to the good stuff at the end of the week where we've got the the key games, the games that are going to determine who's playing for the championship as well as who's going to get ranked in the top 10 and everything else. It does, though, make you kind of look ahead to next year and say, boy, how much better could it have been if instead of all these games to this point? I mean, I, honestly, I as somebody who's probably watched at least a portion of every single bowl game that's been played to this stage, I, I got to believe we would all be having a lot more fun if it was next year with the 12-team playoff and we've had some some actual quality football mixed into our lives the last two or three weeks as opposed to most of what we've gotten. So uh, we'll see. But in the meantime, we are seeing some signs of what the new college football era could look like and how it could be a positive. And one of them was a transfer that happened over the weekend. Malik Murphy, a kid that played as a backup for Texas and, again, felt like he had to get into the portal rather than stay through the playoff with them, which is kind of a shame. You would have liked for him to be able to stay in all the way through, and it could turn into a huge story if anything happens to Quinn Ewers in that game with Washington that they don't have the guy who was their backup quarterback this year, Malik Murphy. Now, they do have Arch Manning, so it's not like they're exactly going from an elite player to nothing. But still, this is the guy, Malik Murphy, who would have been the backup if Texas needed to play. He said, no, I got to get in the portal. I got to make visits. I don't have time to wait until the completion of the playoff procedures to to do these visits. I've got to jump now. So he did. And he visited a bunch of places. And he went in a hurry to a bunch of places. In order, he went to Durham and visited Duke, went to Baylor, and went to Oregon State. I mean, that's that's casting a wide net. He looked at South Carolina, among other places. But over the weekend, Malik Murphy chose Duke. And it's very hard to imagine a scenario where that would have happened in any previous era. It's not that Duke was never a place anybody would want to go, but for football, if you were a high-level talent, it's really hard to imagine you would have thought that Duke was a place you could burnish your resume for the NFL. But Riley Leonard's a guy that did good things there. And now is going to Notre Dame. If you're Murphy, you're going into a conference where you look at it and you say, hey, Duke, before the injuries to Leonard, Duke was competing in the conference this year. And you've got a coach in Manny Diaz who's shown he could be an effective recruiter, not necessarily an effective head coach. He's got to prove that. But he's shown he could be an effective recruiter. So he made the case, look, you can come in from the outside and and start right away. Quality education, obviously, to be offered here. But also, I would tend to suspect that Duke, for a kid like that, an actual competitive NIL offer, a chance to say it's going to be worth it to you here. It's going to be worth it to be here and be our featured attraction, star quarterback, start right away, probably play two years, and then try to make your case for the NFL. They couldn't have done that two years ago. Even with a guy that was doing a nice job in Elko, before NIL, I don't think they could have done that. And I think that that's a good thing for us, that right now in college football, the talent people I think believed NIL would mean that all the talent would be standardized around a few programs. Instead, we're seeing it go the other way. We're seeing that if you're willing to compete, now you have to be willing to compete, but if you're willing to compete and pony up, you can land top quarterbacks at a place that normally couldn't have landed a top quarterback recruit. You know, look, Spencer Rattler, when he left Oklahoma, he goes to South Carolina in part because Shane Beamer's there. But he also goes there because it is possible for them to make it worth his while to go there. You know, you're getting to come into the SEC, and you're getting to compete against top defenses and get great exposure, and that's all good. 
But the history of South Carolina quarterback recruiting, they've never landed a dude who is as physically talented as that guy was. And they got him in part because they could make it worth it for him to go there and do so above board. It wasn't some kind of a chicanery. Nobody's dropping a bag in the middle of the night behind the barn or anything like that. So I, I, I like the idea that kids like Murphy don't have to just look at it and say, I'm only going to one of about eight to ten places. No, again, the top schools are still more likely to get the top talent than not. But we're seeing it at Georgia right now. Georgia's losing some kids to the portal that they don't want to lose. And they're losing them because, one, there's so much top talent that not everybody can get on the field. And two, because it is feasible for other places to make it worth it to go there. So a kid like Daniel Harris, freshman, that's somebody, they're not happy they're losing. There's no question. They're not happy they're losing. But if you're a kid and you want to play and you know that there's a lot of places you could play and you don't have to sit out and you could possibly be a hotter prospect, a, a financially incentivized, exciting prospect as the new stud cornerback in town at some other school as opposed to another piece in the machine at Georgia that eventually is going to get on the field, some of those kids are going to go. So at Alabama, at Georgia, LSU, some of these kind of programs that historically have been able to just load up on talent and then wait two, three years, some will, but some guys are going to say, yeah, you know, I've learned something here. It was good being here. I like my teammates, but I also like the idea of getting on the field quicker. And you're going to see those guys move on more quickly. I think it's going to create, not that Malik Murphy and that level of player is going to be going to Duke on a regular basis, but I think it's going to create a little bit more balanced talent around college football because there's going to be a lot of kids like a Daniel Harris that just, they get there, they're excited, they want to be there, and a year in they realize it's cool, but I think I can do something else. And to me, Murphy to Duke is is the ultimate example of of how this is changing, and I think changing to some extent for the better. Look at a program like Louisville. Louisville has done really well in the transfer portal. They've added a lot of talent. That's a school that in recruiting doesn't always have the best first pitch, but they've been able to establish themselves now, it seems like with Jeff Brom, especially for offensive guys, but not only offensive guys, they've been able to establish themselves now as, hey, this might be a fun place to go for a couple of years. And this is a place that's willing to do what's necessary to try and make it worth your time to come here for a couple of years. I think that program is going to be a much better, more consistent, more competitive program over the next three to five years than it's been over the 10 years before. And it had a Heisman Trophy winner in that span. It's had moments it was really good. But I think it's going to have a much better chance of maintaining competitiveness now than it has in the past. And that's also why if you are one of the programs, particularly most famously Clemson, but not the only one, uh, that is still reluctant to embrace this, you're going to have to do a great job of managing your talent and making sure that you don't lose the kind of players that are the developmental guys in your program if you're not going to be willing to go outside and bring in somebody to replace the ones that you lose. And it's going to be a tough, tough balance to strike. Again, these guys get paid a lot of money. This is one of the challenges they've got to figure out how to make it work going forward. But I, I do think it is going to make the sport top to bottom more competitive and more fun. And I, Murphy to Duke was the perfect example of why. All right, coming up, I mentioned earlier Vanderbilt might just be doing a little bit more than people realize. We talked with Dave Bartu about some of the talent that they're bringing in for the coaching staff for New Mexico State. What if they bring in one more? We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. 
Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. show he's flying in for chuck this week glad you could be hanging out with us we'll talk some dogs scheduled to in 15 minutes take a look at georgia they are making their way down today to south florida for the orange bowl florida state got there on christmas night uh, georgia waiting and uh, opting to go on tuesday morning so everybody will be down there and we'll see whether or not there's any formal announcements on any of the expected opt-outs for the bowl again there'll be some everybody knows there will be but uh, so far they've all come from the fsu side and they've been substantial so uh, who knows it's possible georgia just could keep them to themselves and so maybe uh, florida state has to wonder well is there a chance that some of these guys will play and then maybe uh, look at the sideline and see who's wearing a jersey and jeans or something like that on the day of the game, but uh, that is where we will uh, go here in about 15 minutes. Check out where things stand for the dogs and talk about that Trevor Etienne transfer in particular. Wasn't the only one. They also picked up a wide receiver from Miami over the last couple of days. So Christmas has been a good haul to be sure for the dogs. All right. So we mentioned earlier Vanderbilt is trying to restructure their staff. They're bringing in multiple guys from New Mexico State trying to see if they can bring some of that underdog energy that really I mean it's it's so impressive what New Mexico State did the last couple of years uh, but now you have the coach stepping down they've already promoted from within so guys could stay with the new coach Tony Sanchez the former UNLV head man taken over there at New Mexico State but Tim Beck became the offensive coordinator already before Kill stepped down he had become the offensive coordinator for Vanderbilt they're also hiring the co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach Melvin Rice to come in and be a part of things on the defensive side. And there's some speculation that maybe that's not where they're going to stop. As uh, with Jerry Kill stepping down, and again, 17-11 and 11 back-to-back bowl trips for the Aggies that went over Auburn that was kind of the, the capper on an amazing two-year run for them, uh, had won eight games had New Mexico State in the previous four years. Four years combined, eight wins, 17 wins in two, including a win at an SEC team. And not just a win. I mean, they, they dominated Auburn. In that game, uh, Matt Zenitz of On3 reporting, it is possible Jerry Kill might also be going to Vanderbilt. Now, this would probably not be, if he does it, in an on-field role. Because remember, Jerry Kill, if you're not familiar, this first came to light for most people when he was at Minnesota, has a medical condition that can cause him to have seizures. It has limited his ability to be a head coach. He, because of health reasons, had to step away and he he steps away and then he tries to come back and with different degrees of success now that he's in his 60s he has said he will never be a head coach again he he has accepted that idea that this year took so much out of him even as he had a great season that he will not be a head coach again but nobody thinks jerry kill doesn't want to be involved and active with football and so you're talking about somebody who has previously been a behind-the-scenes voice at a place like Virginia Tech, uh, been a guy that was at least started out being behind the scenes at uh, TCU. So you could have Jerry Kill, a guy who's kind of the ultimate underdog builder, come in and be an advisor to a Clark Lee, a guy who has only been a head coach for three years, and who, you look at that team, they're not building anything. There's nothing getting done there. 
and they lost all their quarterbacks and they lost all their wide receivers of any consequence to the portal for all the talk about this idea that you're going to have somebody here who's going to come in, who understands Vanderbilt, understands the challenges of their program, is an alum, uh, that he was going to be able to come in and, and know how to build there. Nothing's getting built. But Kill has worked miracles, so maybe him, combined with what is reportedly an increased financial commitment to the program, maybe he can help Clark Lee figure it out. Vandy's never going to tear it up in the SEC. Nobody's, Nobody's pretending that. But they don't have to be this bad. There's just no reason for it. They don't have to be this bad. You can land talent there. There's kids that like the idea of being in a nice city like Nashville, getting a good education and the exposure and visibility that comes with the SEC. Like you have a case to make there to bring some kids in. Uh, it doesn't have to look like this. And so I just wonder if, if Kill, it hasn't been reported that it will happen. Just Zenitz is reporting it might happen, but it would make a ton of sense, especially when for the staff, they've already taken two members of his staff anyway. Him following along would make that program even better. So I, I, I kind of hope it happens because – Especially now, if you're Vanderbilt and you're trying to compete in a 16-team SEC, you need all the help you can get. And I'm sure there's some people who say, no, 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 man, I I like the idea of Vanderbilt being the one thing that's a free square for everybody in the conference. When you see them, you know uh, that's a win. I get that there's some people who are into that, but I I would like them to be better and more competitive than they are. I'm not some Vanderbilt fan. I I don't have any affiliation at all, but I just think it's better for the conference not to have – uh, just a total walkover game on the schedule in any given week. And that's what Vanderbilt for way too much of the last three years has been with Lee and obviously before him uh, for some years there as well. All right, Chuck Oliver's show, Heath Klein in for Chuck. Again, we talked some dogs in a few minutes, just hitting a couple of other little notes over the last few days. Uh, one kind of interesting move coming out of South Carolina, linebacker Stone Blanton has put his name into the transfer portal. We're talking about a guy in Blanton who had 52 tackles this season, was a starting linebacker for him, was a four-star recruit, uh, was somebody when he originally came to South Carolina had wanted to play baseball as well and has not really gotten on their baseball team and been active. So I do wonder if maybe that's part of the equation. Uh, Blanton was a guy who, among other things, had a really important play for them this year, an interception that helped seal the game against Jacksonville State. Uh, There was a thought that maybe he was a little bit foot speed wise a little bit slower than you'd like for an ideal sec linebacker so i don't know if they encouraged him to look i mean again he's still a starter so even if you choose to believe that he is maybe a little slower than ideally you would expect uh you could still make the case that well if he was the best starter they had then they probably are better off with him with another year of experience under his belt competing even if they're trying to bring in better talent around him uh but i i am i'm surprised just by the timing of it uh, just you feel like if you were a guy who wanted to jump, your season's been over for almost a month now. It would have made more sense to get in earlier in the process than now. So I, I I haven't talked to anybody over in South Carolina since it got announced because obviously with Christmas, people have got other things on their mind than why is this linebacker transferring? But for a guy who was an actual starter to hit the portal right at Christmas, you just feel like there's probably at least a little more to that than just dissatisfaction with his role because he was already an established guy. Uh, so curious to find out more about what goes on there and what they do, because again, they've, they've lost some key pieces. They did well in the portal adding some pieces, but they've also lost some key pieces 
And on paper, unless they've got a replacement, that feels like a noteworthy deal. Also, Florida made a move this weekend I thought was important for them. We will see down the line whether or not Billy Napier is going to make more adjustments to his staff. All he did to this point, remember, is get rid of his defensive line coach and his secondary coach. And, okay, I mean, you want to make adjustments, add some new personnel there, that's fine. But the thing that most people would have guessed if you were going to say, where do you need to make some moves, would have been things like play caller, where Napier has chosen to call the plays and it has not worked out very effectively so far for them at all. And so you had some people who really thought he would look to bring in somebody to be a play caller. And that may still happen, but it hasn't yet. And then you also had real concern about special teams. And so far, there's been no concrete plan as to how you're going to address that either. So the two most glaring things that fans were bothered by when you're talking about coaching have not been addressed. But there was another one that Florida has decided now to do something about. They have moved the person who was in charge of their strength and conditioning to a different role. And now... They're bringing in Craig Fitzgerald, a name that might not be familiar to you, but has worked at multiple schools in the conference. Uh, Fitzgerald has been the New York Giants director of strength and performance the last few years, Uh, was originally in the conference the first time with South Carolina under Spurrier, had a run with them, then went to Penn State, and then from Penn State followed Bill O'Brien on to the Houston Texans, and then came back after that time in the pros with the Texans, came back and was part of the Pruitt staff there, in Knoxville, and since then back into the NFL and working with the Giants. Uh, I covered Fitzgerald during his run at South Carolina, and he did improve their strength and conditioning in a meaningful way. And when he left, there were a lot of people who thought, oh, you know, they'll they'll keep it going with the next guy in line, and it, things fell off. The conditioning program was not as effective after he left at South Carolina. It was one of the things that appeared to be an issue in the final years of the Spurrier era there is that they had lost something in Craig Fitzgerald. So you don't want to oversell the new strength coach. That's one of the most common things we do in college football is, oh, oh, this guy's got him doing these crazy workouts no one's ever seen before. They're flipping tractor tires and uh, pushing vans around, and uh, then they have to lift a Volkswagen bus and take it 10 miles on their back down the interstate. I don't want to do that. I don't want to overhype it. But this is a guy who could improve an area that Florida does approve, does at least appear to have needed to improve in and has done it at least a couple of times in this conference. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team, build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. 
Chuck Oliver Show. Heath Klein in for Chuck this week. Thank you for hanging out with us, talking some college football all through the year for two hours every single day, 52 weeks a year. We've got you covered. And of course, one of the games people has certainly there's there's focus on all of them, but people's focus is going to be heavy, heavy, heavy on how things look when Georgia and FSU get together because FSU's got a bunch of kids out, but at the same time with the suit against the ACC and uh, just sort of the general anger at the world persona from FSU, what's that going to look like? And and for Georgia, this is not territory they've been familiar with, a game that really doesn't mean that much. The last couple of years, obviously, uh, champions. So most of the guys on these teams, they haven't really played the just sort of here and happy to be here kind of bowl game before. How do they handle something like that? So, so let's uh, let's catch up. The dogs also picked up some really important transfers over the weekend. So Jake Rowe joins us now from Dogs HQ. That's on three property, and he joins us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Jake, how are you? I am doing good, man. How are you? I appreciate you making the time. Let's let's start with where the dogs are. That they head down to South Florida this morning, and so in your mind, just because this is so different than their experience over the last few years mentally where is this team going into this game what does this mean to them that's the big question is you know that just had a big win streak snapped and and obviously you know you do wonder you know where the motivations are um you know i think maybe coming off a loss you know you may get a team with a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth um you know i know the practices back in athens went really well um but at the same time um, you know, there's this just, like you said earlier, there's not a whole lot on the line, and this team's used to playing for, you know, a lot. So I, I'm interested to see kind of how it looks, um, how the opt-outs look. The team, you know, gets into Miami at 530, and, and we'll know a lot more then about who's here and, and you know, who's, um, you know, I, I doubt that they're going to officially declare any opt-outs um, before that happens, but uh, before the game gets here. But but it, it'll be interesting to see kind of where this team is at. We'll get to see a couple practices. But I, I'm told that the ones that happen were really good. Yeah, you mentioned I was wondering about that, whether or not there's no rule that says you have to acknowledge any kind of opt-outs. In the NFL, you would have to say, oh, you know, this player is out with injury or something like that. There's no standard like that in college football. So even though I think FSU would be mighty surprised if Brock Bowers was playing in this football game, for example, you don't have to tell him for sure he's not going to play if you don't want to. No, that's right. And I think it'll probably come down to like pregame warm up. What you know, is he is he you know, I'm sure um there's a good chance he'll dress out. And, you know, a guy like Bowers or, or even a Marius Mims or, or you know, Kwari Lassen or some guys that you kind of expect to go pro. But you're right, no there's not gonna be there's no onus on Georgia to, to announce anything. So um it you know, maybe pregame warm up before we really know uh, what's going on. Jake Rowe with us from Dogs HQ. Jake, let's start with what's coming in. There's obviously some kids of note going out from them in the portal as well. But uh, Trevor Etienne, this had been rumored even before he put his name in that Georgia was where he kind of had his eye on, and, and now it's official. That's where he's going. What makes this the right fit for him and them? Well, I mean, for Georgia, their leading returning rusher had 68 career carries, and that guy's coming off a torn patellatin and um, and, uh, and Branson Robinson. So it, for, for Trevor Etienne, you know, he's a guy, you know, a couple, two or 300 carries in his career, lots of touches. Um, you know, he's a, he's a pass game threat. He's a run game threat. I mean, he, he really, you know, Georgia would have really 
benefited from having him this past year in that regard. Um, so he he's a really talented back. And you know, listen, over the past couple of years, you know, we had a chance to see um, Georgia play a lot of different running backs, and and Trevor Etienne is is right up there with with some of the best ones. He's been really successful against Georgia. Um, I know Georgia's players, you know, in these these collective podcasts that they do and things of that nature, they've been really complimentary of him as well. Uh, he's uh, he's a dynamic player, and um, you know they're they're getting a big time um, playmaker in him and a guy that you know probably the moment you know he joins the team is is you know in the discussion at least for the uh, feature back row. Yeah, the the only things you would hear from down in Gainesville about to explain why they didn't use him more because on paper he certainly seemed like their most explosive back, but you'd hear hey, maybe not always where they want him to be, maybe a route run wrong or something here, maybe not as much of a blocker as he'd like him to be in certain circumstances. But but overall, the talent is indisputable. Yeah, no doubt. And, and he's put that on display against Georgia a couple times. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's had some success against the Bulldogs uh, the last two years. So that's one addition. They also pick up a wide receiver from Miami. And, and again, if you're going to go into the portal, if you're Georgia, you don't need to go for substandard goods here. You're only shopping on the top shelf. And this looks like, again, another pretty nice addition for them. Yeah, Kobe Young, um, you know, 6'5", 215, very reminiscent of, you know, a guy they got out of the portal, you know, a few years ago in Lawrence Cager, who came in. When he was healthy at Georgia, he, he was really good. And, you know, I think Colby Young brings something to that wide receiver room that Georgia doesn't have, um, that, that really big, really physical presence, um, not just as a pass catcher. And he, listen, he, over the past two years, he has uh, he's caught 10 touchdown passes, which is tied to the team lead in that two-year stretch. Um, he, he's very effective um, at, at getting in the end zone, and, and he's a guy that you know, he runs you know, good routes. He, he's a reliable receiver out of the backfield. And uh, he, I mean, sorry, out of the receiver position, he, he does a lot of good things. And not only that, for somebody like George who likes to get the ball out to the perimeter, to playmakers, he's a guy who can block and he can get hands on guys and kind of cover some dudes up and, and allow uh, other guys to make plays as well. So a couple of additions, but obviously some guys are also on their way out. And one that I know that you're not totally shocked because obviously these days with the portal, anybody could decide it's the right move. But, but Daniel Harris is one that they probably, if they could have chosen, wouldn't be somebody on his way out the door. Yeah, um, you know, he's a really talented um, guy. I mean, he's, he's built and he's put together in such a way that you don't really see cornerbacks very often. I mean, really big, tall, long guy. Um, you know, everybody's looking for him. Um, not very many people actually can find them. Um, I don't think that one's over just yet. Um, you know, as of right now, there's, it seems like there's a pretty good chance that he's going to come with Georgia to Miami. Um, he's from down in this way. And I think Georgia's going to do everything they can to kind of, to kind of hold on to him. Uh, he made that announcement but has not officially entered the transfer portal. It sounds like he's still practicing with the team. So it doesn't seem like that one's quite a done deal yet. And, and I know George is probably going to fight and do everything they can to hold on to him. I, I'm curious about this because you look at Georgia and they have been so good at evaluating players and just loading up on talent year after year. Is there a point, though, where it might be more beneficial to just say we're not going to be able to hold on to all of these four and five stars let's keep a couple more spots maybe then in a perfect world we like to and just figure we'll go and pluck a transfer here, a transfer there, rather than bring a guy in and then a year later lose him like at least potentially they might here and they have with at least a couple other kids? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a big part of it for Georgia because they just signed a class of 28 guys. 
And, um, you know, with the, even with the portal guys that they've lost thus far, which is, you know, around 17, 18, um, they still have to lose more. And now some of those are going to be early entries to the NFL draft, guys like Brock Bowers and, you know, maybe Kamari Lassiter, maybe Amarius Mims, um, maybe Ladd McConkey. you know, some of those names come up. Um, but if Georgia's going to bring in this entire 28-man class plus these four transfers and, and maybe even, you know, one or two more, um, they've got to have room for that under the 85 scholarship limit. And so uh, it's attrition is absolutely necessary. And, you know, obviously you would like to lose only the guys that have been around for a few years and don't really have a path to playing time, but that's just not reality. That's just not the way it's going to happen. I mean, Jamon Dumas-Johnson is a starter. He has started for this team all year when healthy, and, you know, he's headed to Kentucky. Well, I mean, was it where, where his snaps going to go down if he stayed? Absolutely. I mean, Raylan Wilson and, and C.J. Allen are, are two really, really talented football players, and Jamon's, uh, you know, snaps per game uh, went down seven or eight this year, and they're probably going to go down again. But, you know, would Georgia have to held on to him? I, I think probably so. And uh, the same can be said for Daniel Harris. Um, and, and, again, they're still working on that. And the same thing with A.J. Harris, who is in the portal, but I do think that there's a good chance that Georgia's going to do everything they can to hold on to him as well. I think if you try to hold on to the guys you definitely want to hold on to, um, but, you know, doing that at a super high clip or, or doing that at a 100% clip is just absolutely unrealistic. Jake Rowans for a couple more minutes here from Dogs HQ on the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath Klein in for Chuck. Uh, one guy that is not a surprise that also is in the portal, though, Denylon Morissette again. Uh, as you say, there's already a number crunch, a guy who didn't play this year. This is the kind of guy you expect to hit the portal and stay there. Yeah, and, you know, had some off-field troubles with Georgia this offseason. Um, you know, obviously a guy that they felt plenty good enough coming out of high school. They wanted him. They recruited him hard um, and, and made some waves kind of early on. But sophomore season just not did not turn out the way he wanted it to, the way Georgia wanted it to, and, and him entering the portal really is, is no shocker. And, and that's that's the perfect example right there is a guy that after a couple of years, um, you know, two or three years in the program, that um, you want to see those guys. I think Kirby mentioned it on National Signing Day that the portal is a, is a really good thing in that regard is, you know, you want to see these guys get an opportunity to play. They've got a limited window to put what they are able to do out there um, to, to maybe go on and make a little money playing this game. And, and you know, he's a guy that, that's got a chance to do that now that he's moving on from Georgia. You mentioned some guys, again, whether they announce it or whether we have to wait until the day of the game to officially find out they're not playing. It's pretty clear, guys like Bowers, Mims, it would be absolutely dumbfounding if they were back for another year. Who are the guys in your mind that are more keep an eye on, kind of wait and see as to what their futures might be? Lab McConkey is one. Um, I don't. I mean, I would probably lean towards him going pro, but but we haven't gotten a decision on that yet, and then I don't think a final decision has been made. Um, outside of that, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, Smile Munden would have been one um, that that you know was there, but you know he's the one that's you know already you know been, said he's coming back. Um, another guy I would point to is maybe Javon Bullard because um, Georgia would really benefit from getting him back. You know, he would. I think he would really benefit from a second year. Of, uh, of kind of playing safety. Uh, Tyke Smith is another guy that I would point to that, that played a lot of star nickel for Georgia this past year, which is the primary defensive attack that Georgia uses. 
Um, you know, I think that, that, that he's another guy that could have let you come back as well. I mean, the thing about George is there's only one guy on the roster that has to go, and that's Tremel Wildhauer. Uh, otherwise, everybody can come back. Everybody has eligibility remaining. Um, and then uh, on the good side, the guys we think are coming back, Warren Brinson and Azir Stackhouse in the defensive line, um, it seems like those are kind of going to go George's way as of right now. Last thing for you, Jake, just if you had to guess, is there any other obvious place the dogs are looking in the portal in the near future for, for some help somewhere? I mean, I think they're looking at the defensive side of the ball, you know, looking for maybe um, maybe an edge, maybe another defensive lineman. Um, I, I think they are probably through on offense unless the right offensive tackle gets in, somebody that they can bring in and, and maybe make a little bit of a three-man tackle rotation, something they've used in the past. Um, it would have to be the right guy. It would have to be a guy that they believe can kind of jump in and play right away um, at that spot. Uh, but, you know, I, I would look more towards the defensive side of the ball, that defensive front, maybe an outside linebacker slash edge or a defensive lineman. Jake Rowe, Dogs HQ. Jake, appreciate you making the time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Enjoy the game, man. All right, man. Appreciate it. There you go. A little look at what's going on with them. Again, they were busy the last few days. A lot going on news-wise with them. Uh, kind of quiet at some places, but not in Athens for sure. Again, this game, it's such a weird situation for them because – you do know that if anyhow, any way, FSU can win the game, everybody's going to have to hear from FSU forever. They will never, ever, ever shut up if they win this game. 50 years from now, you will still be hearing about FSU winning the Orange Bowl against Georgia. Whereas if Georgia wins the Orange Bowl, no one's even going to notice. It's going to be, yeah, well, of course. I mean, FSU didn't have any players uh, they're key guys on offense, and they were all depressed because they didn't make the game, and they're more focused on uh, suing the ACC and maybe trying to get private equity investment to fund getting out of the ACC and so forth. So, I mean, it, it is the ultimate no-win situation. You're not going to get any credit at all for winning this game. I think Georgia would have handled FSU even if the whole team showed up and, and they were energized. I think FSU is good. I think Georgia's better. But it's a bowl game, so... You never know. As we talked about, there's different levels of motivation. FSU, if the whole team showed up, would, would be looking to prove a point, and Georgia probably won't have their whole team and, and really wouldn't be looking necessarily to prove a point. But, but now, especially if you get lulled into any kind of sense of, hey, we're in South Florida, we can relax and have a good time, and yeah, maybe, maybe curfew is sort of optional this week type of thing. If you get lured into any kind of thinking that way, Weirder things have happened than whatever talent FSU does still have pulling together and winning a game. And on behalf of all of us, seriously, don't let that happen. We don't need to be hearing from FSU people about this in, in 2068. We, we don't need to be hearing about that. Dogs need to take care of their business here. We'll see whether or not they can do that. Unless you're an FSU fan, in which case you're mad at me, and that's fine. But for those of us who aren't affiliated, when you guys get your chest out, it can be a little much sometimes. And I can only imagine how much your chest is going to be out if you find a way to win this football game. We'll come back, put the wraps on today's edition of the Chuck Oliver Show right after this.
catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. of Mike Norvell, FSU head coach, talking about Brock Glenn, who's going to get to start for his team at quarterback. Second game in a row, he'll do that, but first time he's doing it by virtue of uh, Tate Rodemaker uh, just not being available, period, as opposed to a concussion issue. Rodemaker into the portal and uh, deciding to pursue his future. So it's Glenn, and, and boy, if anything happens to Glenn, again, I don't know, we're talking walk-ons, we're talking uh, go wildcat with somebody. I don't know what FSU does if anything happens to Glenn. Talented guy, by the way. It's not like he was some stiff. He was recruited highly. He's just a guy that, even though he was originally an Ohio State commitment, flipped to FSU, hadn't really seen much time this year. So he's at least had a few weeks now, unlike being kind of thrown into a situation that he was in the ACC title game, a few weeks to get reps and and improve. And one thing about losing all the talent that they have lost is that now you do have a guy who has probably been throwing more to the guys who are going to play than he ever was to the guys like the Keon Coleman's and Wilson's of the world or Jaheen Bell. You know, those guys were the starters. They were working with Travis. If you're on the scout team, the kind of guys that you were probably working with on the scout team are the guys that are now going to be needing to play more role in this game. So you never know. It might actually be a little smoother than people from the outside looking in are going to imagine it's going to be with him as their starting quarterback. But again, they're down there in South Florida waiting for the dogs to arrive, and then we'll see what it looks like as the week goes on. Is Chuck Oliver Show, Heath Klein in for Chuck for a couple more minutes for today. Speaking of quarterbacks in South Florida, I this is a new one to me. I hadn't seen this particular angle, and I don't think it's going to work, but it's the NCAA, and so all things have to be considered, right? You may remember that Talia Tagovailoa, the brother of Tua, pulled out of the Maryland game for the bowl game with uh, Auburn, said, I'm not going to play. And a lot of people said, well, that's kind of weird just because this isn't somebody who's viewed as a really high-level NFL prospect right now. He might get drafted, but it's not like you're Drake May saying, I can't get hurt. I'm a top three pick. I'm Caleb Williams. I'm the number one guy more than likely in the draft. I'm protecting my health. I don't have anything I'm going to get out of playing a game with Louisville uh, that's going to show the NFL anything more than I've already shown them, so I'm going to sit down. That's not what Talia's situation is perceived to be, but he's still announced, hey, I'm, I'm sitting out the game with Auburn. Okay, I mean, might be the last time you get a chance to play football in your career, but that's what you want to do, knock yourself out. The word, though, now, according to Mike Loxley, the coach of Maryland, is that it's possible that he is going to try and transfer. And if you're saying... Wait a minute, I thought he'd already used up his eligibility. Right, you are. Uh, at the moment, he cannot transfer. He played five games. Remember, he started his career at Alabama. He played five games there, which is one more than you can have for a redshirt year, and then has since played 
and exhausted what his existing eligibility is supposed to be at Maryland. So his career theoretically should be over with this game. However, if somehow they can figure out a way to get the NCAA to say, eh, five isn't that much more than four. We're going to call that a redshirt year at Alabama, and you could have another year. If they can do that, apparently the thought is he would look to transfer to South Florida, not USF, Miami. Head down there, and he could be in the same city as his brother, and you could do some marketing tie-ins, the two, the Tagovailoas together in the, uh, in the South Florida area for one year. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but... It would be mighty interesting if it did work out that way because, at least on paper, there's there's no benefit to him sitting this out. Uh, getting a game under your belt, one more game on tape against an SEC team would seem like it could help you more, but if he's looking at it from the perspective of, well, hey, if, I, uh, if I'm in the portal and I'm already making my case and appealing, uh, maybe they'll cut me a break. Maybe it makes sense. That's what at least Loxley says is, is going on, so... Who knows? Maybe we haven't seen the last of him, even though you won't be seeing him in the Music City Bowl. One last note. This year we have a new bowl game name. It's not a new bowl game. It's a new bowl game name. It's the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Now, already we have talked on this program about the fact that the Pop-Tarts Bowl is going to feature an edible mascot. That part of things, we have to still see what it looks like. But there's a mascot that will be an edible mascot. And after the game, reportedly, the players could take a bite out of it. But today, they have unveiled the Pop-Tarts Bowl trophy. Move over, Stanley Cup. Move over, Lombardi Trophy. There's a new best trophy in sports. It is a Pop-Tarts Bowl trophy that features a football, much like the Lombardi Trophy, except for there are two holes in the top of the football slots specifically and yes those slots are filled with pop tarts and because they're pop tarts those things are going to last every bit as long as the trophy they'll be there 100 years from now the trophy might rust those things will be exactly the same as they look right now that's all for today on the chuck oliver show thanks to ryan hopper for Brucey. we'll see you tomorrow what are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.